Hello, Regeneration. We continue on in 1 John chapter 3. And uh, looking at verses 19 through 24, and if you'll notice here that there's a verb in John's letter that appears over and over again. It's this verb, know. It actually appears over 30 times in this letter of 1 John. And it's obviously obvious that John wants us to know something, not to think about it, not to feel, not even hope or assume, but to know. And so today's verses gives us these two no verses, verses 19 and 24. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. And verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. These verses of assurance, reassurance, certainty regarding salvation in Jesus Christ. And John writes about this again in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Some may feel that this comes across as arrogant of Christians to believe we are the only ones to know what happens after death. I certainly don't want us to come across that way as arrogant, and our church does not want to come across in this very unbecoming way. We, we want to come across as confident in the Bible, though. Not confident in ourselves, but in the Word of God. Sometimes we condemn ourselves, and it's not a matter of if we condemn ourselves. It's a matter of when we condemn ourselves, and much of this can stem from not knowing who we are of, and knowing that the Spirit abides in us. So let's take a look at the first three verses of today's scripture, starting in verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You notice that John wrote in verse 24, whenever our heart condemns us. It's not if our heart condemns us, it's when. John is writing to believers and he's writing to reassure us of our standing with God through Jesus Christ. John knows we'll have doubts about our salvation and, and these doubts are, are normal. They're normal for us to experience. They are thoughts that enter our mind pretty regularly throughout one's life and we're we're all familiar with our hearts condemning us aren't we all of us have experienced this some of us more self-condemning of ourselves than others but but we've all done this haven't we now some of you may have rarely experienced this and maybe you're experiencing it now because I just brought it up but other than that you don't even really think about it and then there are some of you who just constantly experience this and you just constantly beat yourself up wondering if you're truly a child of God. There are times we excessively accuse ourselves though. And maybe that's not you. Maybe those accusations are coming from the evil one. Take a look at Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. 
who accuses them day and night before our God. The devil does frequent God's children to disturb them. But our hearts do condemn us, and sometimes it is an understandable condemnation because we know from earlier verses how love is the evidence of who we are in God. Love is the fruit of who we are in Jesus. So when that's non or inconsistent, it's understandable to have our hearts condemn us. It's understandable to have our hearts condemn us when we don't exercise sacrifice, which is an indication of spiritual love. For whenever our hearts condemn us, these are feelings when our heart condemns, and feelings are really, really important, but it just can't stop at feelings. Feel, feelings aren't the end all of our outcomes. Take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. It reads, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Talk is cheap. Just like the devil's accusations, they are cheap. But what did Jesus do for you and for me? It wasn't just talk. Now, there, were, there was a lot of talk. You read throughout the Old Testament, it's full of talk, prophecy of the Messiah. But Jesus showed up and he delivered in deed and in truth according to the Old Testament. Now, Jesus' half-brother James wrote about this. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament laws, not just in word, but also in deed and in truth. He fulfilled love not just with his words, but in deed and in truth. The self-sacrifice of Jesus is at the very core of real love, and we are to be like Jesus. And so the question for us is, are we? Are we practicing self-sacrifice like Jesus, or are we practicing selfishness? These challenging times that we're all living in today, they give us a lot of opportunity to practice this. It does take some initiative, but it's pretty easy to practice self-sacrifice today. We have a brother in our church who shops for the elderly folks in his apartment complex, helping them to stay healthy at home while he takes their lists to the grocery store, and he's been doing this for a couple of months now. He could easily just shop for his own family, but he's not selfish. What opportunities are right in front of us to practice love, to practice self-sacrifice, doing? Are we really believing in Jesus? Are we really being obedient to Jesus? Are we loving like Jesus? And a lot of times we aren't. And then comes this heart of ours that just starts condemning us for all of these things. Then a bunch of feelings start creeping in about our faith, like uneasiness and anxiety and doubt. And we can start to question whether we are really children of God 
and whether we really do have eternal life or not. And so how do we even know all of this? Look at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. God knows that we struggle with this. This is the very reason why John writes this to us. We wouldn't have to be reassured if we were assured. But how? How do we do this? We, we know this condemnation is going to come because it says whenever. It doesn't say if. And we'll, we've probably all experienced this lack of confidence in, in things like our prayers. So what does this mean for our assurance in Christ? We read from verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us. All right, we, we know that this happens, but how do we leap from this condemnation in verse 20 to the end of verse 21 where it reads this, we have confidence before God. What, what, what happens in between that? This heart condemn, God condemnation to then this confidence. We know that we're imperfect. And that includes our hearts. As much as we question our hearts that condemn us, we also need to question our questions. We need to doubt our doubts. We need to disbelieve our disbeliefs. We need to disobey our disobedience. And in the final analysis of all that, we need someone greater than our own heart. Verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. We need to completely depend on God. Knowing that God is greater than our heart. That God knows everything. He knows when our love is inadequate. He knows our very intentions. He knows what drives us. He knows who we are to our very core. There's no use in being fake with God. He sees all of our swaying beliefs. He sees all of our fumbling disobedience. He sees our inconsistent trust in Him. But this is what we can be assured about. We know God is greater than our heart, and we know that God knows everything. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than anyone else can ever know you. That even though God knows our wavering allegiance, our imperfect love, He's still our Father. And He sees us as His children who struggle at times. Our hearts, yes, they condemn us. But God is greater than our heart. Even when our love is weak, faint, dull, God can still see something there. There's still a remnant there that he can see. And if it's really there, if the remnant is still really there, he doesn't belittle that little love that is there. Now, it's not an excuse for us to love poorly. It is reason for us to grow in love and to love better. God doesn't turn a blind eye to our lack of love because the degree of love that we do practice is undisputable proof that we indeed belong to God. Now think about this. The very fact that your heart condemns you is actually a good sign 
that you really belong to God. Right? Because do you think that a non-believer just lies there in bed thinking about how they're going to live for Jesus? They might lie in bed wondering if there's a God or what the meaning of life is. They may have a ton of questions, but do you think someone who doesn't trust in Jesus ever, ever worries about loving like Jesus? And has their heart condemned them for that? Probably not. See, it's only the believer that does this, where their heart con our hearts condemn us for not being like Christ. The believer has their heart condemn themselves about the things of Jesus. Non-believers have other things that condemn their own hearts, but they don't have a fear about whether they're following Jesus in an honorable way. This is a unique experience of those who are convicted by the Holy Spirit to imitate Christ in deed and in truth. Truth, And only if you are of Christ would you even grapple with a matter like this. In order to get out of the self-condemnation from our hearts, we have to look to the truth about God. We need to look to the mercy and grace of God found throughout the entire Bible and search for the many places where God's love is shown, like in Luke chapter 15. Many of you know this story. It's the parable of the prodigal son. It starts in verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So here we have a picture of God's love for us. For whenever our hearts condemn us, like the prodigal son's heart condemned him, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Everything. We naturally have these hearts of self-condemnation. And it doesn't help that the devil constantly accuses us. But it's precisely why we need Jesus. Rather than beating ourselves up, which can be justified based on evidence we need to fix our gaze on Jesus who already took our deserved beating already took our deserved condemnation upon 
himself. This is how we deal with our condemning hearts. We need to commune with God who loves us even though he knows everything about all of our failures and our hearts condemn ourselves that he is greater than our hearts. He sees everything. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. When we submit our self-condemning heart to the knowledge that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything, this is our confidence found in God. Knowing God is greater than our hearts that condemn us, knowing that God knows everything, that's what gives us confidence to pray. Not as victims of our own self-condemnations, but to become advocates for what Jesus has done for us and for others. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. So, does this mean that whatever we ask for, we receive from God? No. Take a look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. Now back to verse 22, and let's look at that latter part of verse 22. It gives us clarity about this also. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Our relationship to God as his children is conveyed in our obedience to God and to do what pleases God. The the reality of this is our prayers will be shaped through our obedience to God through keeping His commandments, through our desire to please Him, our confidence to come before God in prayer and to have those prayers answered is directly related to our obedience and to what pleases Him. But it doesn't mean all of our prayers are answered the way that we want them to be. Now this keep His commandments might be unsettling for some of you who are listening because we are typically people who don't like rules. We might put up for them with a little bit, but we get tired of them pretty quickly, right? I mean, look at this shelter-in-place stuff going on. There's a lot of people, you know, it's been two months, I'm tired of it, I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to do whatever. And it's challenging to follow rules. We, we tend not to like them. But this confidence we have in approaching God with our prayers and keeping His commandments, they, they go hand in hand. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then we're given this commandment in verse 23, which actually has two parts, this one commandment. Verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. First part of the commandment, believe in the name of of his son Jesus Christ. And so this is the first part that we believe in the reality which identifies Jesus as the Christ. Now why is this written as the first part of the commandment? Because people believed Jesus to be all sorts of things back in John's day, just as people believe Jesus to be all sorts of things today. There were and there are so many theological questions regarding Jesus and John putting this first part in the commandment is putting all these kind of debates to rest. So first things first is is this commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. What's in the name of Jesus? Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call His name Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sin. Then skip down to verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It is crucial to know that we are dealing with the Christ Jesus who saves his people from their sins and who is God with us. Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy One, the Chosen One, the Messiah, the only one to save us from our sins. There's no other one that can save us from our sins. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only in Jesus' name. There is no other. Church, if our message doesn't have Jesus Christ in it, saving people from their sins, being God with us, it's not the gospel. What is the message that we preach or that we're trying to get across to people? Oftentimes I feel the church is just trying to be nice. We do nice things. We say kind things. We do good things. We love. But sometimes we miss a very, very important part of love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Oftentimes people who claim to be Christians, they, they stop at the deed and they don't include truth. And this is the truth. There is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. It's not a belief in just anyone because... Anyone else cannot save people from their sins. Anyone else is not God with us. This belief is not something that is just in our minds. It is an allegiance. It is a trust. It is a loyalty to Jesus Christ to which our everlasting life depends on. First part of that commandment in verse 23, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And then here's the second part. And love one another just as he has commanded us. The commandment isn't just to love one another. It's a very important part of the commandment, but the commandment is not followed in its entirety with just loving one another. To be a child of God requires the commandment, the two parts. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. But a lot of times we kind of shy away from the Jesus Christ part and we kind of lean towards the deed part because that's the more acceptable part. That's the part where people won't judge you for that if you do good things. But we need to shed light on the truth part of things about this divine love of Jesus Christ because we are to, as John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love in deed and in truth. Love and belief. This leads us to communion with God. Verse 24. 
Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The verb there abides is in present tense. We're completely wrapped up in God and God is completely wrapped up in us. Now how can holy God who is righteous, who knows everything, be wrapped up in us? We're unrighteous. We're unholy. It's through His Son, Jesus Christ. God, creator and ruler of the universe, sent His only Son to die so that you and I can enter into communion with God. Whenever our hearts condemn us, we experience depression or we're tense about life or we beat ourselves up, we, we hate our circumstances, we hate our choices. So when these things happen, let's saturate ourselves in the mighty words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Remember that. Remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And He knows everything. Let's pray. Lord, You are omnibenevolent. You are omniscient. You are greater than our heart. You know everything. Lord, when we are down on ourselves because we just feel like we're not doing enough, I pray, Lord, that we re would remember how great you are to focus more on you than we focus on ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us, for making a way to have communion with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's have communion with each other. So if you've prepared, as we have for weeks now, that you would take what you have symbolizing Christ's body broken for you, knowing that He knows everything, that He knows your heart. Let's take this in His name. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing Christ's blood shed for us. Let's take this. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for this sacrament as a reminder of your love for us and that you're coming back for us. In Jesus' name, amen.